You're about to listen to a message from the LifePoint Church, a warm and friendly home for the young at heart. Amen. Good morning, church. Good morning, church. Anybody excited to be in God's house? Anybody sharing David's excitement? I was glad when they said to me, let us go to the house of the Lord. Anybody excited this morning? Can you celebrate the King of Glory who's here with us already? Hallelujah. Amen. Amen. Good morning again. It's great to see everyone in church this morning. Thank you to everyone joining us online. It's great to have you guys with us. Um, Today's a beautiful day and we are going to get into the Word. Hallelujah. I know that God has something really special for us today. I mean, he's already blessed us with his presence. For those who made it early enough to be a part of the worship, can we celebrate the LifePoint Band? And also, if you listen to Tejiri's God Experience, a story of love and of grace, saying, look, here is where I am. I'm not there yet. I'm not quite there. But God loves me, and that's all that matters, because that's what is taking me through this journey. Can we just celebrate Tejiri? God bless you, Tej. Thank you so much for sharing. Okay, so this month we started a teaching series called The Honor Code. Essentially a story, story, yes, different stories anyway, a culmination of different stories. But the teaching series has been on stewardship, okay, how to honor God with the talents. So the very first Sunday we had Pierre in the house, you know, and he spoke to us quite extensively about honoring God with our talents. The next Sunday we had Pastor Tulu bring us the word and he spoke to us about stewarding our time in such a productive manner that it glorifies God. And last Sunday we had uh, Pastor Felicia also bring us the word and she also spoke quite extensively about becoming a kingdom addict where we prioritize God, the things of God. We also prioritize people and we steward our resources um, with emphasis on financial resource um, last Sunday. All right, so we continue this morning and I will be addressing a very controversial, age-long, old, not new, it's not today type conversation and it's discontent, discontent. Um, Let us pray. Let's pray. Father, we just thank you. Thank you because even before we showed up here today, you already prepared for us. Um, There is a lot you want to reveal and just pour into us this morning and we open up our hearts to receive from you, to receive counsel, to receive wisdom, to receive clarity, to receive instruction and to receive direction. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, so discontent discontentment if i asked you what that word meant to you as an individual in fact first of let's let's please can you just help me ask the person sitting beside you why are you discontent just ask them why are you discontent then another question what are you what is causing your discontentment money thank you that's why i love life point church we are real like that Sorry? Japa, we are real like that. 
Okay, so, I mean, this whole conversation about contentment, discontentment, I'll be very real with you guys. I feel like every pastor has a list of sermons that they need extra dose of grace. So you know, yes, you need grace for every sermon you will preach. But there's some that just require extra dose because you know that even you yourself, the message is for you. Yeah? So that's me being real with you guys, okay? Now, this conversation around discontentment, like I said, not be today. It's not a here and now matter. And before someone starts to wonder, is it really a bad thing for me to be discontent with my lot in life, with my current situation, with, you know, everything around me, with my nation, Nigeria, amen? amen. The truth is, it's, it's not a bad, it's not necessarily bad. Um, the f- aspect of discontentment we're focusing on today is not the part that challenges you to be more, to do more, um, to give more, to be a better person or a better version of yourself. It's not that part. Because God has created us in his image and after his likeness. So his expectation of us as his children is that we do not remain where we are. So gaining knowledge, improving your skills, We spoke two Sundays or three Sundays back about talents and abilities um, that God has given to us. God wants you to hone those skills. He wants you to nurture those talents. He wants you to develop them so that you can, first of all, you know, utilize them in the way and manner that he has proposed for them to be used. Secondly, so that you can also profit from them. Remember the story of 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 the stewards, you know, the guys who were given talents and they turned it around. Remember the guy who left his, who went to bury his own talent. Okay, so, I mean, if you just think back, down, go down history, or go down memory lane, there are guys who were uncomfortable with the situation of things in the world during their time. Henry Ford, you know, he was tired of seeing horses and and chariots and, and all that stuff and thought people could travel better. Started an assembly of cars. The guys who created the airplanes, you know, they got on, they reached a certain level of discomfort where they figured that, look, we should be able to travel better. We should be able to, you know, close the journey before now or before then, before the um, advent of the airplane. You probably needed to travel months to get from Nigeria to the U.S., But right now, even to the UK, you can go in six hours, you know. The guys who developed electricity, who created the light bulb. So those are discontentment of some sort that translated into, you know, good for mankind. However, we're speaking to where you and I are at presently in our lives. Whether it's at that face where, like somebody said, you need more money. Whether it's the face where you are really just done with this country and you believe. I remember the video, (laughs) the teaser video that was created and one of my darlings (laughs) said, I can never forget because it shook me. I am not married to Nigeria. (laughs) I am not married to Nigeria. So it's not a till death do us part matter. 
we do not need to, you know, continue the relationship. Okay, so wherever it is on the side of the divide that you are, whatever it is you're dealing with, I want to remind us also of some people in the scriptures who maybe at some point encountered some sort of discontent, you know, as at that time, I'm sure they did not think they were dissatisfied with their lot in life. But Eve, Mama Eve, because I mean, you are in this beautiful garden that God had taken his precious time to create, giving you everything. And then the only thing he says, don't touch, don't eat of, is the very thing that becomes pleasing to your eye. It's the very thing that becomes desirable to make one wise. It is that same thing that is good for food. What happened to all the other food? In, I mean, all the other opportunities for feeding that existed in the garden. And doesn't that make you wonder that when Eve would say the apple from that tree was one that was desirable to make one wise, what was she lacking or what did she think she was lacking or missing that would allow her begin to process that information in such light. Okay? Now, take it forward a bit and let's encounter our brothers and sisters in the Lord, the children of Israel. Because I'm sure that Israel and Nigeria were like kindred spirits or brothers and, you know. Anyway, these guys leave Egypt after having undergone severe oppression and as they crossed the Red Sea, they were full of jubilation, very excited, praising God for deliverance. Fast forward a few days or maybe weeks down the line in the wilderness, they begin to harass Moses, they begin to harass God, mana, mana, mana every day, you know, and the interesting thing is how they put it. If you, if you go to your Bibles in Numbers 11, verse one to, sorry, verses 4 to 6, it says, The misfits among the people had a craving. I want you to note that word, craving. And soon they had the people of Israel whining. Why can't we have meat? We ate fish in Egypt and got it free. To say nothing of the cucumbers, of the melons, of the leeks, the onions, the garlics. Those guys are really healthy. <laughs> but nothing tastes good out here. All we get is mana, mana, mana. That sounds like a typical Nigerian. Don't you guys agree with me? All we have is just mana. What is this mana? We're tired. It's boring. Mana every day. And of course, if you read that entire Numbers 11, you will see how they test God, they test Moses, because first of all, it was Moses that was appeasing God and saying to God, oh no, these guys, don't just chill, Father, just have mercy. But at some point, it's Moses that got upset and said, these people you gave me, I can't deal, not anymore, I can't. They are ingrates, always complaining. And then you ask yourself, what happened between, oh God, there is no one like you. You delivered us. The horsemen and the chariots, they are no longer alive, consumed. We've been set free. We are on to our promised land, to the place of 
But God, why manna now? Can't you mix things up a bit? Reminds me of my daughter when she this week she started advocating, my older daughter, she started advocating, Mommy, we need to change the food timetable. We need to change the food. Some of the things I'm having for dinner, I want to have them for breakfast. And then I want to be having like waffles every day. Like you say, what? So, I mean, the children of Israel essentially were saying to God, look, this is your way of only manna. It's not, it's not working. And God eventually answers them and says to them, okay, fine. You guys want some, something else? I'll give you meat. You want meat? I'll give you meat. Oh, you're going to eat so much meat, it will come out of your nostrils. You will be stuck on meat. And eventually, that crop of people who advocated for this, um, they died. In the course of, the Bible says that as they still had the meat in their teeth, they died. So our generation is not exempt from all this. There is something you and I are complaining about. So guess what? Everybody in this room here, you are either, you've, either you've uh, struggled with discontentment, you are struggling with discontentment, or you will struggle with discontentment. And it's not a cause. It's just the fact of life. However, how can we live above this state? How can we thrive in an age of discontentment? So it's either a race for something or a race towards something. That is what is prevalent in our generation. You know, the children of Israel didn't even have social media in their own time. If they did, probably would have been worse. Because you know, there is a difference between what you remember. So you're living off the memories that you've had of your past then the memories have been captured for you and you are seeing it. So imagine an Egyptian who took a selfie and is then, has then posted it with all the cucumbers and leeks and onions and some Israeli guy is seeing it and he's just vexing about his own manner that he's in. Maybe about to even put the manner in his mouth and he's seeing the picture. But in our own age today, we are dealing with social media and that has its own complexities. Technology, amazing. Social media are great because we can do a lot of good. In fact, we are doing a lot of good with social media. However, the state of discontentment, some of us have found ourselves, is largely driven by what we are consuming from media. What popular culture is selling to us and defining for us as models and as standards. So I remember when I started my first formal job, um, I say formal because that was the first time I was going to work at a multinational. Before then, I had worked with small businesses, but I started about 23. And I remember just being very excited, and like three, almost three years into that, well, I mean, when I turned 25, just being excited at my lot in life, well-paying job, you know, no, no bills per se. I'd started living alone by then, so I've, the only bill I had was like house rent and things, but I mean, it was just... I was happy, I was I, content, and I'm a naturally content person, except in a few circumstances. But I was just coasting, and as at 25, 30 looked really far for me. It looked really far off, and I had my plans, my goals, my five-year plan, 10-year plan, I want to retire when I'm 40, and all of that dandy and fancy stuff. Alas, I woke up one morning and I was 30. <laughs> and I was so unhappy. 
I was so unhappy. Guys, for real, I was very unhappy. Because I looked at my journal. What have I achieved with my life? What have I done? See my mates. They're on their second or third job. Who sent me to just be content? Because at this time, I had just quit my job at that multinational. Who sent me to even leave? My promotion was just about to come. God, did I hear you? And I was just in that phase where I was so troubled. I was so unhappy. I thought I had not, you know, made enough progress. I had benchmarked my life with, just compared with my peers, who I thought were doing better, you know. Some had even had, like, my, my, in fact, my best friend had already had, like, two kids. Her first set of, uh, sorry, her, her first delivery was a set of twins. She already had the second. You know, I was like, hey, Jesus, what is going on here? God, am I still your child? But I was so unhappy and very discontent. You know, and... I look back, and I'm saying, if I could say, or if I knew better, a lot of things I was worrying about then, I would not have bothered. Because our lives, our journeys, have already been mapped out by God. So no matter how much you want to hurry God through the process, you will be dissatisfied with the outcomes because you are working with God's timing and not yours. But oftentimes what we do is we compare God's timing with ours. And we say God is too slow. We say he's not listening. He doesn't care. He doesn't love us as he says. And a, lot of, a ton of other things. And we sink into that state of despair and discontentment. In this generation, a lot of us are dealing with the ER or the EST syndrome. ER, I want to be richer, finer, please give me words. The guys online, feel free to put your comments in the chat section as well. So what do we want to be? Yeah, that ends with ER. Finer, richer, slimmer, sli thank you, slimmer. Wealthier, yes. To somebody says taller. <laughs> <laughs> Guys, I, can't, I cannot even deal with you people and this Japa matter. But for real, and there's some people, you, you are still in the ER phase. Some people are already in the EST phase. I want to be the richest. I want to be the GOAT, greatest of all time. I want to be 30. I want to make Forbes 30 under 30. And it is some people's life ambition. Following closely to that is then the when and then thinking. Because the richer it is that you aspire to be, you start to measure your current face with your desired goalpost. And you're saying, when I am richer, then I will be happier. When I am what other word is there? When I am slimmer, clothes that you should have given out three years ago, four years ago, you are still keeping them. This hope and aspiration that you will be slimmer. So when you are slimmer, you fit into those clothes and you'll be happier. When you have a boyfriend or when you connect with Bay, then you will what? You'll be happier. And that's it. When I get a better job, 
Aha, what will happen? No, let, guys, help me. Let's, let's plot this story well. Before you become happier, when you get a better job, what will you do? What's the person that is designing a better job, what will you do? You'll be richer. What else? You will tension, <laughs> you will tension your enemies. <laughs> and then you'll be happier. But don't you just see how interesting it is that a lot of the things we are connecting our happiness to and tying our happiness to are the things that we are aspiring to. So when I'm this, then I will be this. When I am that, then I will be that. But it doesn't work that way in the kingdom. I hate to break the news to you, but the goalposts will keep shifting. Because guess what? Maybe right now, your annual net income is, say, maybe 2 million or 2.5 or even 3 million or even 5 million. And what you're aspiring to is, ha, ha, ha. I remember something. When I was 20, when I was starting my first job, that my first formal job, I remember, so I just started understanding what it meant to... Um, to declare the word, you know, to declare, to make declarations, to go into the word, to search. <laughs> Somebody's already laughing because they know what I'm about to say, because maybe that's your experience. Without understanding, but what I did then was I wrote out what I wanted to earn. And I remember my present husband now. Well, my husband now. I've only been married once. <laughs> My husband, my husband, yes, who was my friend then, said to me, this, how do you intend to make this money? And I was clueless. But it was just this name it, claim it kind of thing then. Just name it and claim it, and you just be declaring and declaring. Without, without, with a lot of foolishness. You know, and I was like, God will do it. God will bring the opportunities. My own responsibility is just to keep declaring it and to believe it. Very ridiculous money. And then he asked me a very simple question. He says, when you have this money, what will you do with it? And I had no answer. And I find that a lot of us are there. We just want these things. But what will you do with it? Because guess what? The purpose will drive the form. The purpose will drive how God will attend to that need. Because he has got to see that you will not, you are not asking so that you can consume it on your own lusts, on your own flesh. So let's not mistake com uh, contentment for complacency. That's not what today's message is on about. God isn't saying to not aspire to more. God isn't saying don't strive to be a better version of yourself. That's not what it is. So it's not advocating for complacency in any way because God wants us to live wholesome and fulfilling lives. Now, Paul introduces us to a very important lesson in Philippians chapter 4, and that's our anchor scripture for today's message. Philippians 4, verses 10 to 13. Um, I think this is the NIV translation. It says, I rejoice greatly in the Lord, that at last you renewed your concern for me. Indeed, you were concerned, but you had no opportunity to show it. I am not saying this because I am in need, for I have learned to be content whatever the circumstances. 
I have learned to be content. So even if contentment doesn't come to you naturally, and you know, just preparing for this message, I imagine that when God was creating and fashioning us, some of us, he puts in the dose of contentment in a higher measure than others. So there are some people who are clearly, you know, not, um, they struggle to be content with life in general. Okay? But Paul is saying here that I learned to be content. I learned it. And that's what we're going to do today. We're going to learn contentment, okay? In whatever the circumstances, I know what it is to be in need, and I know what it is to have plenty. I have learned the secret of being content in any and every situation, whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or in want. I can do all this through him who gives me strength. See, it is easier to be satisfied when you are having your own way. When everything is working according to your plan, I promise you, you will not be thinking about discontentment. You, you are a content individual, only because everything has aligned with your plan. So you graduated when you wanted to graduate, you know, you finished with the class of, uh, you, of um, what you might call it that you wanted, you finished with maybe a first class or a two-one or whatever, you know, and then you went to... You, ha you have your second degree already. You applied to the schools that you wanted and you got admission effortlessly. You even got a full scholarship. Everything working according to your plan. And you had written there by 23, I would have my first job at Google. And it happened. By 25, I will be married. And it happened. By 26, because I want to have like one year and a year and a half to just enjoy, and then we can start having kids, we will have only two children, a boy and a girl, a set of twins. And it happened. And you just look at it, you've mapped your life and everything is happening the way you, no stress, no hassle, nothing. I want a dual citizenship. It happened when you wanted it. You will not say you are ever discontent. You will not have a reason to, be, to, to, be, to complain or to groan or to mumble. Why? Because everything is following your plan. But guess what? It is not your plan. It is not your plan that will be enacted for your life. It is God's plan for you. For as long as you have submitted to him, what happens oftentimes is our plan versus his plan. That is where there is usually a problem. Understanding God's plans for our lives, embracing his plan in totality, and sometimes his plan includes the wilderness experience, but nobody wants that. We don't want it. Who, I mean, who would sign up deliberately to say, God, I'm okay, <laughs> it's okay, that promised land, I'm happy to go through. You, did, you didn't put wilderness in my journey. God, please, can you put it in there? If we had a, you know, we had an opportunity to contribute to this planning process, and we, are, we, we God says to us, can you specify the, 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 the details for me? What would you like in it? A lot of us will avoid the wilderness experience. We will avoid the prison or the pit experience like Joseph. Why? Because, oh God, the earlier we get to that promised land, the better for you and for me. You know, because I can shine, I can reflect your glory faster. But if it takes me a long time to get there, and you know, this is a thing that I know the older generation used to say, because I remember it used to be said in my parents' church, you know, that's, so you know the scripture that says, hope deferred makes the heart weary. Yeah. 
And I, I, I see when people are praying and they pray with that scripture and they're like reminding God, God, I can't be trying to be marrying at 50. I mean, that doesn't glorify you in any way. And it is true. It is, it, I mean, it's, it's true. But we have got to get to the place for as long as it is that you are sure it is not some evil oppression of the enemy that is ongoing in that matter. Once you have clearly settled and you know that God has his hand in this and he's saying to you, there are certain things you need to learn on this journey. There are certain things I need to pour myself into you. And for me to do that effectively, I need to rid you of self. Selfish ambitions, self-agenda. Yes, you want it to happen here and now, but I'm saying to you, can you trust me with this? Can you trust me? Because in this wilderness journey, I am pruning you. I am training you for that promised land. And you know, just because I've been speaking about wilderness and promised land and all that now. See, the promised land is the abundance phase. It is the harvest phase. It is that phase where you, you know, you know this is the final destination technically. This is what God has promised and you've entered into it. But before that promised land phase, or that abundance phase, there is the wilderness phase where you eat manna. There is that phase where you stay trusting, where the scripture where Jesus taught us to pray in Matthew 6 comes to life, where you are literally saying, give us our daily bread. Give us our daily bread. It is a prayer of trust. Okay, so what are the things that are like contentment stealers or deterrents to a life of contentment? First is comparison and competition. We want to be like the next person. We want to be like the person we went to school with. We want to be, you know, we want to be better. We want to, at the very least, let us even be like small girl, big God. They take pictures in front of a car that you don't know whether they own or not, and you're already having heart palpitations. They have filtered their photographs and you're like, oh my God. They take, you know, so many things, so many things. In this age of discontent, there are several things coming at us. Some people need to detox from social media. That's probably one of your own strategies for leading and living a life of, dis- uh, of contentment, that you will purge yourself. You have a period, you know, whether it's monthly or something, that you just purge. You purge from Instagram, just Apart from social media, apart from Twitter, all the nastiness and the nasty news and the savagery ongoing there, you just step back away from it because it is affecting you. Okay, so we need to stop comparing ourselves with others. God made us unique and you've got to accept that. You've got to accept and be comfortable in your own skin that you are who you are and God has showered his love upon you in the process of fashioning and designing you that you are in his image and after his likeness, that whatever people are saying, it's not your business because they did not make you. So they cannot determine the outcomes of your life. They did not make you. So they have no say whatever in your journey. Absolutely not. Because some of us are still holding to things that parents have said in the past, that friends have said, that your ex has said, and we are allowing that determine how we move ahead. Some people have even refused to move on because you are still hurting and reeling from the pain of words that have been spoken over you. We're going to spend time in prayer today. The next thing is covetousness. 
the, the Bible translation, first of all, the word covetous, do people even still use that word? Yeah, I don't think I've heard the word covetous since I only hear it in church. It's not a word that you use when you're talking to your friend. Do you know I was coveting that guy's car? You don't, you don't use words like that. Anyway, but the Bible translations of the word covetous, so you first find that word in, um, amongst the Ten Commandments. Uh, it also means desire, it means want, it means to lust after. That's what the message translation says. So when it says, thou shalt not covet your neighbor's possessions or belongings, his slave, his wife, and things like that. The message translation uses, do not lust after. So to covet is to have an uncontrolled desire to acquire. Now, it is so important to God that we are not covetous, that it is right up in the alley of the Ten Commandments. It is as important as thou shalt not kill. It is that important. Okay, so the Hebrew word, or the Hebrew meaning of that word means to pant after. To pant after. The Greek word means to grab or to grasp that you can't let go. Now, I believe as God's children, the only thing or person we should be panting after, to be honest, is God. We should not be panting after ephemeral things. Let me borrow a Bible word, which basically means temporal things. Things that are here today and gone tomorrow. Things that have no eternal value or eternal consequence. Things that will not last. We should not be panting after those things. We should not be coveting them. It is okay to desire nice things. So guys, don't get me wrong. It is okay to desire to look good, to drive a good car, to have a beautiful house, to have, I mean, for your bay to be beautiful or handsome, whatever it is that, you, that impresses you or makes you happy. Nice things are good. But you know what is better than nice things? God's things for you, God's plan for you, God's agenda for you. Far outweighs the nice things of life. Okay, so... To grab or to grasp such that you can't let go. And the question here is, are there things that you have grabbed or grasped, holding on to, that you have refused to let go? Even when God is asking you for these things, let go of this present job and take on this one. Yes, it's going to be a pay cut. But you are in that place where you're like, what? God? How? That cannot, that I bind and cast. That is not God speaking. God will not always ask you to make such sacrifices. But on this journey, this, in this Christian faith, it is a journey of faith. It's a journey of trust. Trusting in the one that has designed us, trusting in the one that has created us, and trusting his plans for us completely. You can't trust half and half. You can't take a portion of it and say, this part, I'm going to, you know, God, I'm feeling this part. This other part of step aside from this relationship or, you know, take a pay cut and go and work in development instead of working in Chevron and earning millions. And you're like, God, that cannot be you. We can't choose, or we shouldn't choose. We should be able to embrace totally God's plans, okay? So, 
The challenge is this, when we have an Eve situation where we find the things that, we have, that are appealing to us or the things that are calling for our attention, the things that we want, pleasing to the eye, good for food, desirable to make one wise. What it is is this, so God has instilled in us or wired into us certain needs. There is a reason why he would say, in the, do not lost after, you know, and Jesus would say, in fact, if you look alone, you have lost it already, if you look in a certain way. But he gave us these eyes, right? He put in us these desires. And so when you're feeling a certain way about a lady that walks past, you know, you're feeling aroused or whatever, he put the desire in you. God created you, so there's nothing wrong with you, and neither is there anything wrong with the desires. But where the problem lies is when we try to use non-God-inspired ways to solve God-inspired or God-instilled needs, there would always be a problem. So Eve went the route of, this fruit looks desirable to make me wise, if she thought she needed more wisdom, there was a different route to have gone, and she did not need to eat that fruit. She didn't need to eat that fruit. So for someone here today, there are non-God-inspired or God-glorifying means that you are exploring to attend to God-ordained needs. Whether it be in your business, whether it be in your career, whether it be in your relationship, whether it be financially. And you know, an example that readily comes to mind is get-rich-quick schemes, sports betting, gaming or gambling, and the very many other things that we indulge in in this generation in a bid to grow our finances. So compromising is more an outcome of this deterrence. Comparison, co competition, covetousness. You begin to compromise. You begin to cut corners. You begin to desire other ways of helping God, because that's usually what it is. We want to help God in solving the God-instilled, the God-wired, and the God-designed needs. So 1 Timothy 6, 9, the Passion Translation says, but those who crave the wealth of this world slip into spiritual snares. They become trapped by the troubles that come through their foolish and harmful desires, driven by greed and drowning in their own sinful pleasures. And then they take others down with them into their corruption and eventual destruction. That's a word enough for the wise that if there be anything right now, so anybody who's gambling or you're involved in sports, but whatever type of gambling it is, just in a bit to say, this is not a course, but the odds will not be in your favor because you have got to learn and you will learn the hard way. It's true. We can talk about it after. If you feel offended by it, I'm happy to have a conversation with you afterwards. But see, guys, we need to begin to live differently. We need to begin to live differently so that we can lead differently. 
A lot of the problems we're having in our nation today is a leadership problem. We blame people that are X amount of years old and say, but it did not start when they were 50, 60, 70. It started when they were like you and I, in their teens, in their 20s, being able to overlook what is right. All right, it's not, today is not a political message. Let me just focus because my time is running out. All right, um, so secret of being content um, or learning contentment, we see it expounded in that Philippians 4 from verses 10 to 13. The first thing is this, that you understand that your life is not about things. Scripture says that the life of a man does not consist in the abundance of his possessions. I have a mentor who that is his motto, you know. He says once he buys this, his fancy car, he's going to put it there. But your life does not, it's a, it's a humbling reminder that your life does not consist in the abundance of possessions. So if you like, acquire, acquire, keep getting, keep grabbing. Acquire a mountain. Acquire islands. Acquire, go and ask Solomon how it all ended. I mean, everything we want, Solomon sort of encapsulates. Wisest man. He had the most women. I don't think there's any person in history that compares with Solomon's record of wives and concubines. I doubt. I've not heard. But, I mean, all that. And still, in his wisdom, he's able to say it's all nothingness. It is nothing. It amounts to nothing. It is vanity. It's all vain. It's all temporal. It will pass away. So money is a tool. And the, it's not the source of your joy. So it, shouldn't, it should not determine your joy level. It should not determine whether you have peace in your life or not. It shouldn't. Some of us are, and I, I say this with every sense of, guys, I'm not generalizing, with every sense of, uh, of respect to all the men in the house. But we've seen it time and time again. But they say when, when a man is broke, he's not very happy. Is that true? Yes, okay. I think women are able to handle it a bit better. Is everybody? Is in this your generation? Is everybody? Women are more content. The, my own generation. <laughs> are you serious, guys? It's really an age of discontent. Because where I'm coming from, and I, I'm sure the older women in the room can attest to this fact, that sometimes you don't have, but it's not that bad. You find way, other ways to be happy. But right now, so it's both men and women, right? Okay, so there's a story of this, or this analogy that I, I, I stumbled on, a landowner and his, his servant. So the landowner said, oh, yeah, rich landowner said to his servant, oh, you've served me faithfully. You know what, I'm, I, I want to reward you. So I have this huge expanse of land. And so I will give you any portion. The portions you run, you run through, yeah, I'll give to you. The portions that of the land that you run through will be yours. This servant sets off and starts to run. And runs and runs and runs and runs and runs till he died of exhaustion. What's the moral of the story? Greed, exactly. He wanted it all. He wanted to acquire as much as he could. But you see, before we judge that guy, isn't that like the life some of us are living? Where you work, 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 and you have no time for any other thing. 
No time for God, no time for family, no time for relationships, no, no time. You barely even have time for yourself because you are grabbing. You are just doing all the jobs, doing all the business. And it's not, it's, this is not advocating that you, you are not ambitious or stop being ambitious or become you know, lax and lackadaisical with your life or slothful. Absolutely not. It is the wisdom that you need to know that money, if what is driving you is money and not impact, money is not the source of your joy. Money will make your life easier. Amen? We all want money. I want money too. It will make your life easier, but it will not give you the happiness that you desire. You see, because remember, there are God-designed needs that only God-inspired solutions can fill. So God created you. You are trying to fill a void with things, with tools, with resources. No, it doesn't work that way. In him would you find joy. In him would you find satisfaction to live this life and to live it well. So much so that you can say like Paul, when I have plenty, I'm all right. When I don't have, I'm still all right. God is good. So God is not only good in the good times. Even in the not-so-good times, he's still good and he's still God. Our ability to trust in God of the season, in, in the God of the season of plenty, while in the season of want, is everything. That's what I just spoke to now. So your situation should not determine your level of satisfaction. The children of Israel, when they left the Red Sea, of course, and then entered into the wilderness, between the place of abundance and the place of scarcity, is the place of development, the place of training, your training ground, your pruning ground, okay? Where God is teaching you and pouring into you so that you are well equipped to be able to handle the demands of the promised land, okay? Now, the, thing, uh, the third point is to recognize God as your source. Recognize God as your source. Don't confuse your channels for your source. Very important because we do that a lot. We have begun to worship our God, uh, sorry, our jobs. We worship our jobs because fantastic job, well-paying, we're excited about it, but it has become a semi-God or a demi-God. You know, it calls, we jump. We have no time for any other thing. Do not confuse your channels with your source. Recognize God as your source and that every other thing, there is nothing that you have that you have not received from God. Very important, and let that always be a reminder for us that there is nothing that I have, my skin, my good looks, my money, my husband, my children, my job, everything, even the privilege to be able to lead in this house, all that I have, I have received from God, and that is how we should live our lives. All right, um, so don't confuse your supplies also with your source or for your source. Every good and perfect gift is from above and comes down from the Father of light with whom there is no variation or shadow of turning. Now, I want to very quickly just speak to, especially people who are maybe into business here, small business or mid-scale business, you know. And how many of you saw that whole cut, cut soap for me? <laughs> yeah, that's, that's, that guy taking a bath and saying incantations and things like that. And the other guy is asking him to cut soup. Hmm? <laughs> See, first of all, remember comparison. You and, you and someone will start a business and you start to wonder, how did this person do it now? 
cut soap for me now. Show me the way. Can I please, please, and this is not even for people doing business. I don't know why I said just business. Even in your career, see, the earth that we live in, the Bible says that, um, how does that scripture go again? The heavens belong to God, and he has given the earth to the children of men. You see, this earth we live in is controlled, or is, it's, it functions or answers to spiritual principles. Let me put it that way. What that means is this. When you, you know when Jesus would say, while men slept, what did the enemy do? So tears. When you are still doing your sky daddy and feeling very chilled and, you know, and you are in an industry where some people are taking 4 a.m. or 12 midnight baths using soap and sponge and declaring and making incantations, and you, all you are doing is waiting to come to church on Sunday so that BWS can speak a word over your life. I'm reminded of that story. I can't remember the name of the king now. Maybe the Miladi can help me with it. But it's in First Kings, where the children of Israel were at war with this particular tribe or group of people. And the battle was very intense. Israel was winning. However, this king just took his son, the heir to the throne, sacrificed him, killed him. What happened? The bat that battle turned. It turned against the children of Israel. This earth, eh? you cannot engage this earth just like that. This world, for you to thrive and live in there, you have got to hold you. There are no gray areas. So there are no middle points. You better hold on to God. If, if all you know and all you have is God, hold on to him. Hold on to him. People, I don't know if you look at, so you all live on the island, but for those who live on the mainland and maybe some inner parts of, of Lekki and all, you may be familiar with this. But I, I remember when my, my father built a house in some random place, very far like this. That was the first time I was seeing like mud houses and, and things like that, you know, and shrines and like you, would go, you, you are going out in the morning and you see at a T-junction, you see a calabash with pap, um, echo, what's it, what they call echo in English? Baked pap or baked yeah, cold pap, baked pap or whatever. You see it in there with oil and things like that. I'm sure some of you have never seen, in fact, most of you have never seen things like that. You probably see it on TV. Guys, it is real. People still do things like that. But I don't even think in this generation they're waiting to go to T-junctions anymore. I think they've started applying some technology now. There's some sophistication to the, da <laughs> There's some sophistication to the darkness now. So they may not need to put there. But you are still there. You are still doing sky daddy. Hi, sky daddy. You better when you are calling your sky daddy be blasting talk. And you are declaring who you are and who you belong to. So that the odds can be in your favor, guys. If not, you will be there. See, Pastor Felicia was telling us on Sunday how she endured spiritual attacks at work. I mean, how, do, how would you think? Because it's people like you and I that are going to work now, right? So where is spiritual attack from work coming? Does it mean that somebody that looks like you and I is still leaking something? I'm putting something in somebody's chair? In this day and age? How many of you have watched King of Boys? 
Eh, uh -huh. you see those kind of things that they do inside that place. People are doing it, oh. Don't be deceived. People, and this is not to scare you, but this is to wake you up. You cannot sit down and keep complaining that my life is not moving forward. I don't understand what's going on. My village people, what are you doing about your village people? If you are even sure that it's your village people, where this thing, they said it affected my great-grandfather, it affected my grandfather, it affected my father, now it is beginning to affect me, and you are still sitting. You are still sitting, you have not taken a position to superimpose your position into your current circumstance. Bible says that you are seated with Christ in heavenly places. So, let's wake up. Very important. See, there's already, the world is already very hard. It's tough. Nigeria already has its issues. But for you to be oppressed by the devil, to you be victimized, and to do nothing about it is your fault. It's your fault. And you know, sometimes we wonder and we say, but God, you can see this thing is happening. Why aren't you doing something about it? And God is saying, my child, speak the word. Speak the word. Speak the word. Speak the word. Utilize the weapons you have. Utilize your shield of faith. Utilize your belt of truth. Utilize your breastplate of righteousness. You stand and you take position. You stand in the authority that you have as God's child. And you decree and declare the word of God. But you cannot declare what you don't know. You cannot declare what you don't spend time with. What you are not spending time with, what you are not giving attention to, you cannot know. What you can do, what the most you can do is to borrow other people's interpretation, to borrow other people's revelation. But you have got to get to the place where you know God for yourself and you know what he's saying about your situation. What he's saying about your family is so important. I want us to pray. My notes are still long, but gosh, I'm going to have to continue this some other time. Let us pray. Let us pray. Bible says that the secrets of the Lord are with those who fear him. To fear God is to revere him. To fear God is to honor him. To fear God is to be in an intimate relationship with him where you prioritize the things that matter to him. If you want God's secrets for your business, for your industry, for your life, for your career, for your health, for everything that, you know, Bible says that all that pertains to life and godliness, God has given to us. If you want these secrets, if you want these mysteries, you have got to open up to him. You have got to surrender to him. You have got to surrender to him. Very important. The disciples would ask Jesus, why do you speak to them in parables? Isn't it easier to just say to them in English so that they understand? Jesus will say to his disciples, it is given to you to know the mysteries of the kingdom, but to them it isn't. Are you a disciple? Because it is only disciples that will know the mysteries of the kingdom. When Jesus teaches us to pray and he says, you know, um, thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Remember the earth he has given to the children of men. We are superimposing the agenda of God, kingdom agenda, into the earth over our lives. So I want us to pray. And we're praying with the scripture in Psalm chapter 5. Psalm 5 verse 3, the Passion Translation. In fact, somebody should note this down. And every morning you offer it up to God. It's the latter part. It says, every morning I lay out the pieces of my life on the altar and I wait for your fire to fall upon my heart. I lay out the pieces of my life upon your altar 
and I wait for your fire to fall upon my heart, would you begin to declare where you are? Lord, I present my life before you. Everything that is currently causing me discontent, everything that is before me, Lord, that I am struggling with, that consistently depresses me every time I think about my life, where I am currently lacking and I am not making progress, let your fire fall upon my heart. Because what happens when the fire of God falls upon your heart is that it consumes everything that is not of God. It opens your eyes to see clearly the things that you have encumbered yourself with. It separates, it declares away the dross that as we present our lives before Him. And this for someone here, you are surrendering to Him. For Labi, can, can I have you guys please sing? You are surrendering to God. You are surrendering your life to God. See, let this series, this teaching series of the honor code, you know, of stewardship, let it not just pass you by. Let it be a time where you surrender completely to God and you say, Father, every part of me belongs to you because you made me. All that I have, you, 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 you gave to me. So I am releasing it back into your hand that you will use, for, use them for your glory. This particular phase of my life, and I want you to present your dissatisfaction presented before God in the name of Jesus that his fire will fall upon our hearts in the name of Jesus we are commanding a turn around in every situation Thank you for listening to a message from the LifePoint Church. To download more free messages, please visit www.soundcloud.com forward slash LifePointNG.